Welcome, everybody. And you are listening to the brand new Dark Sun Podcast. Wait, 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 Robert. What did we end up naming this? You know, it was really, really close. We did. We had we actually did two polls. The first poll, um, this name won out by like one vote. Um, and in this second poll, it won out by two votes. It was so close. So our bo- our podcast name, our Dark Sun podcast name is Bone, Stone, and Obsidian. And there you have it, folks. My name's Wayne. And I'm Robert. And welcome to the podcast. Now, if you've listened to maybe either Robert or I've speak before, um, maybe on another podcast, uh, maybe you've listened to Advanced Insight, and you know that both of us really love Dark Sun. And we really want to take this opportunity to talk, you know, without limits about Dark Sun topics. <laughs> so what we're going to do um, is we're going to start by just introducing ourselves. I'm, I'm, we're not going to go too much into that. And then we're going to dive into our very first topic that we've actually teased uh, online for the last um, few weeks or so, um, which is we're going to talk about Templars. And I think this is a really amazing topic. It's it is so fun. It's going to be so great. Um, but why don't we start with this? Robert, tell everybody out in Listerland a little about yourself. Sure. So I'm Robert Adici, um, and I'm a Dark Sun fanatic. I started playing Dark Sun back in 1991 when it first came out. And then I created the Burnt World of Athos website in 1996. And, um, you know, I've just been, like, I got out of, of uh, D&D for a little while, and Dark Sun brought me back during 4th edition. So uh, I really, you know, Dark Sun is near near and dear to my heart for sure. Excellent. And my name's Wayne. Um, you might have heard me from other podcasts, such as uh, Advantage to Insight um, on this network. <laughs> and um, my love of Dark Sun basically started the same time Robert did. It was, you know, a way to get into a setting that wasn't uh, Greyhawk or Forgotten Realms where I didn't have to learn a lot of lore, mm-hmm. um, but I got to experience this this deep, rich mystery, um, you know, and I got to play a Thakreen, which, if you know me, <laughs> I like to play those kind of strange characters, um, but, you know, tell me I can play an insectoid with four arms and attack four times around. I was pretty happy <laughs> about that. <laughs> Who so, be? oh, absolutely. So let's dive in. We're going to talk about Templars today. And if you've listened to a past episode of Advanced Insight, um, there were some real big revelations. And the reason why we wanted to talk about this was just we wanted to go deeper into that. So we're going to really split our podcast into three sections. Uh, number one, we're going to start with lore. We're going to go deep dive and come up and explain the lore as we understand it, about a particular topic. Number two, we're going to talk about story or campaign. How does this fit into the story of the game? Not just the lore, but the story and how um, a DM would um, um, present it in a story and campaign. And finally, we're going to talk a little bit about mechanics. Um, We are playing D&D, and Robert and I will mostly focus on probably... Well, we'll probably focus most on 5th edition, but we will talk a little about the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th editions um, as it becomes pertinent. Definitely. So, let's start with lore. Robert, who are the Templars? Yeah, so the Templars are the tyranny that is civilization in Dark Sun. Um, They gained their power from the Sorcerer Kings, and they used that power 
um, to rule over all of the denizens of the tablelands, although primarily concentrating on their city-states, um, to rule ruthlessly and tyrannically. Um, they, they're pretty corrupt. They can do what they want. Um, and they, uh, they are sort of like your best bad guy to use as a dungeon master for Dark Sun, or you're probably a common enemy if you're a player. Yeah, absolutely. Like this was one of the things I, I was, I never caught on to when I first started. It was, you know, oh man, there was so many cool characters to play, and there's the water rules and the desert and all these cool monsters and the sorcerer kings. But I don't think when I first started playing, I didn't realize that the Templars are your main enemy. They are. Yeah. They represent what's what's wrong. Well, I don't want to say what's wrong, but they represent the. They are the face of what's bad. They're the face of the evil inside the cities. Yes, you will have the outside, you have the survival, um, but they're what, what they represent power, order. They represent the power of magic outside of the ordinary person's hands. Like it's, 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 a, it's a crazy amount of power when you think about it. And uh, when I first play, started playing Dark Sun, you know, I was a kid. I, I didn't understand those things, um, you know, because the biggest tyrannical person you know is your parents. <laughs> um, so, you know, you, you don't know that kind of thing. But, you know, how how is that represented? I mean, let me, let me back up one step, but where are they from? I mean, the, the Sorcerer Kings didn't just start with Templars. I mean, this somehow came about. Yeah, so in the lore, they it was never really explained how that happened in the in, in the original bar, uh, box set. Um, but Shane Lacey Hensley of Savage World fame, um, he he wrote the um, Earth, Air, and Fire, and Water book. And in that book, they explain one version, and I say one version because it sort of changes later. Um, but the one version that he explains is that there were these things called elemental vortexes and the elemental vortexes somehow, gra uh, you know, like latched on to the sorcerer Kings. Um, and, you know, cause they were kind of very powerful beings. And so they latched on, however, they were able to transfer all this sort of elemental power to them, but it was nothing that they could use. The sorcerer Kings couldn't use it, but they found that they could channel it to uh, people that, you know, worship them or whatever. So, they created these Templars. Now, some people have an issue with that because that's really the only place I think that they talk about that. Um, in every other place, it's really not really mentioned how they got the power. It just sort of is. Um, and then in fourth edition, they talk about how it's more on arcane bent. Um, and they say that they're, they, the Sorcerer King, uh, just do a bunch of rituals on a Templar to imbue that power, um, and to make that pact. So, so that's, you know, it, it can change. So you can use it in your game, you know, however you want, um, however you want that. And beyond that, uh, you know, Templars, they're probably usually human. Um, it can definitely, it, it's been known that there have been Dwarven Templars. Um, elves, I don't know. They, I think I've never heard of an Elven Templar, but I don't see why there couldn't be one. Or really, there could be anything. But I would just say humans are, are the majority. And um, they usually come from the city-state that the Templar, or excuse me, that the Sorcerer King you know, is from, um, and sometimes in some city states, it's, you know, very prestigious to sort of have a Templar as, uh, as part of your family, um, because there are, you know, benefits to that. Plus, um, uh, it's almost guaranteed that they're going to be somewhat wealthy. 
Yeah, I mean, when I looked at it, and I'm most familiar with the rise and fall of a sorcerer king because I've actually read that most most recently, uh-huh. um, where they talk about the magic lens, um, dark lens, mm-hmm. the dark lens. Um, when it focuses, it, then then you're able to transfer some of that power depending on the um, the fetish that you use. I mean, we can call it a holy symbol, but really, it's not much of a holy symbol um, <laughs> right. for a sorcerer king. Yeah. Um, but all these sorcerer kings that have gone under this power uh, have the ability to transfer that power, um, a portion mm-hmm. of their essence, portion of the power that created them, into these templars. Um, I really. I really find that really meshes well with that kind of arcane power. We'll talk about the mechanics of it, obviously, later on. Um, but I, I've always, I've always kind of latched onto that story. I, I've, I've heard the Elemental Vortex one, but I didn't read that book um, <laughs> back then, so it hasn't had the same effect on me um, now. Now, obviously, it is your game. Um, whatever you decide to use, whatever you decide, is the truth in your game. Great. But I think one of the best things is it doesn't matter what the truth is because a Templar has power. Right. How you know who they get it from. Um, you know that if they, you know, if they walk around with it in their city in that area, they're absolute power. So I just want to move on to that is we talk about, you know, we think about the tropes in terms of the and tropes and themes in terms of imperialism, tyranny, like absolute law, uh, judge, jury, executioner, um, and very, very much so the abuse of that power. Like, how do you, you know, how do you think that, how do you think that came about? Like, do you think that was part of the trope of Dark Sun? Like, was that intended? I think, you know, one of the cool tropes of Dark Sun is sort of this post-apocalyptic uh, aspect. And even though it's really, it's probably really, it's it's like way post-apocalypse. So it's like post-post-apocalypse really. But it's, you know, people are still poor. People are still in that kind of, uh, you know, there's not really much civilization. So I think when we think of that, we think of sort of, uh, uh, you know, power-hungry um, groups, um, you know, bandits and things like that. And so in order to kind of rise above that, it's going to take someone equally as power-hungry or more, I should say, and, and someone with power. And, and I think that... Um, uh, the Templar's power, whether you use it as uh, clerical and divine or, or arcane, is is power in Dark Sun, where most people don't even don't like arcane magic at all, and so it gives them an automatic edge up on anybody, um, and especially people without, um, you know, without Sionox or without other powers. So I think all of that sort of, um, uh, I mean, that's one aspect of it. Another aspect of it is that the Sorcerer Kings. You know, they need people, you know, they're, they're uh, crazy, powerful, scientist wizards, and they need people to sort of control their um, control their city state. And what better way to do that than with, you know, magic infused um, soldiers? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I guess we think of the Sorcerer Kings as these big bad guys, but they run a city and they these templars are not just the you know the thug on the street they are also um they're also the bureaucracy they're also the politicians they're um they're everything like that We're, we'll talk about that in a sec um but let's dive in specifically and talk 
about some of the um, the different Templars because when you say Templar, um, and the common folk is going to equate that with a specific city. Um, an adventurer might equate that with an enemy, but each Templar is different. Each Templar in each city state is different. I mean, you can't transport one Templar and go to another te- another city state. I mean, most likely they're going to be killed. <laughs> yeah. Um, and each city-state operates differently, and they use their Templars, yes, as the, um, the the fist of the Sorcerer King, but they use them in different ways, too. So, um, let's start with your favorite, Robert. What is your favorite Templar? What's your favorite city-state and their Templars? Um, oh, that's hard. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I think... I probably like Nibine the best, I guess, uh, <laughs> just because they have probably the most detail about them. Um, there was sort of a whole little book about them in the uh, Ivory Triangle book. Um, and so, and I've probably used that the most. Um, and so the, the Nibbanese Templars are, um, they have a cool, like every city state have sort of like a different kind of story about their Templars. And the Nibbanese Templars, um, they're all the Shadow King's um, wives. Um, so they're all women, which is interesting because in the uh, in the Earth, Air, and Fire, Earth, Air, Fire, and Water book, which came out before the Ivory Triangle book, um, it says most of them are women. But in further books, it says all of them are women. So that was like a, an interesting little change that they made. Um, but so they're all women. They're all married to him, and um, and they use sort of shadowy, dark magic. Um, and I think that just makes a cool. Um, uh, just some cool imagery. No, absolutely. You? I I had a feeling you were going to say Nibine. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, for myself, I'm I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to edge out uh, Eric over Nibine. Um, just because I I I always want to look for the good in things, and after reading the the rise and fall of a dra- uh, of a sorcerer king, I keep someone to say dragon king for some reason. <laughs> the rise and fall of a sorcerer king. You you feel for this character uh, Hamanu, and yeah. and then you get to know in terms of all the books, um, you get to know um, Pavek, mm-hmm. um, the Templar, the best, yep. and you get to know obviously obviously Tithian as another Templar, but obviously his his quote unquote God is dead, um, but you get to know the two of these the best, and I I really sympathize. I guess I really empathized. Not empathize. I sympathized with this Pavic character because he's like this pathetic guy, but he holds so much power. Yeah. Um, and also like that kind of militaristic um, um, society um, that that Eric uh, Eric um, represents. But mm-hmm. Nimine was kind of fun because um, I think later on they had the best art because I, I don't know they, they they got so much attention. Like Nimine and his Templars got so much attention. Um, in a lot of the art and whatnot, so you do get to see him a lot, a lot. Um, and he has the um, he has his enemy with um, with the Oba. What's the right? Uh, his name um, Golg. Golg. Yeah. Yes. So you get to see you get to see that. Um, and obviously, um, if you know a little bit about Dark Sun, you know that each of these cultures is very loosely based upon a real human culture, uh, ancient culture. To just sort of give them a different feel. It was a very easy way to give them a different feel and be able to kind of go, hey, I'm going to just look, look up this um, country or this ancient culture, mm-hmm. show somebody that 
that culture and they're going to understand, oh, this is Golg or this is Uruk or this is Nimine, yeah. um on, on that surface. And I, I think that was always really cool. One of the things I felt that, I guess from, from previous things, is we didn't get a lot of differentiation until later on, we didn't get a lot of differentiation in the until you saw the clothing and the um, the the dress and even the symbols of the Templars, like the their their quote unquote holy symbols. You didn't get to see those rank and office symbols, and I would have loved to see. I would have loved to yeah, see that. That would have been great, yeah, for sure. But yeah, speaking of rank and office, so they had the, each you know each city state is different as we were talking about, but also um, each. Um, Within the city state, um, Templars aren't just some kind of. Um, uh, they're, they're not just one thing. They they represent um, a lot of different things to the city. So, like lower level Templars are just uh, they they might just be uh, like town guards, basically. You know, your first level Templars they don't really have any magic. They just have um, you know they just have their their authority, which is a lot. But um, they might just represent the town guards, and then. Um, you know, higher level Templars might represent sort of, um, you know, officers and lieutenants sort of in an army. Um, but they also just do all kinds of other stuff around the city. Um, and I think that was sort of one of the kind of funny things um, about like the first um, original box set where they talk about how they're all the, the bureaucrats and everything. But it's funny to think about, you know, some high level bureaucrat, but that also has like some crazy spells that they could throw at you. Um, so I think one of the cool things that ha- sort of changed in fourth edition was Templars was more like a theme. You could just slap onto anybody. So anybody could be like that. So you wouldn't necessarily have to have a, somebody that could wield spells that was say running the tax, uh, you know, the taxes or something like that. Yeah. And I, I agree. Absolutely. I mean, um, the, the theme aspect of fourth edition where you can take something and then modify it, um, give it a little bit of a spin, um, give it a pers- a different personality. Like you can give a fighter a different personality. That was always very, um, that was obviously very, very cool. Yeah. And um, when we talk about mechanics again, yeah. we're going to get into that um, yeah. because that's definitely something that we talked about when we set up and took these notes was how do you pre- represent that now in, in, in the game? So, I mean, I hope that gives everybody a, just an idea of the threat the level of information about templars because now we're going to basically go into how do you use them in a story how do you use them in a campaign so we broke this down in basically three areas the first one is as when you're the dm how do you use them as an enemy so the i mean templars are an easy enemy they're you, you know if you play if you start in a city no matter where city you're in um, with the exception of Tyr in the original Dark uh, box set, there are Templars. And I mean, even Tyr has Templars. They just don't have the power anymore, generally. Um, but if you're in a city, then there are Templars. So they are often corrupt. Um, and player characters have a tendency to bre- break the law, whether that's just being their class, like wizards um, you know, are, are illegal in every city. And so they're automatically sort of breaking the law. Um, uh, elves often trade in kind of black market things, including spell components and whatnot. So again, breaking the law. Um, and you know, Templars are often uh, sort of um, e- they're usually evil. They're usually you know neutral or evil, and so they are often doing things that are going to annoy player characters. So um, 
there is just lots of room for conflict there. I mean, you put it exactly. They are the law. And on an average campaign, you are not going to be fighting a sorcerer king. Or right. not at the beginning anyways. But <laughs> yeah. if you want to keep that theme of combating um of, of combating a sorcerer king or combating um the the evil of the world, you gotta start small, right? You gotta start with the agents of the sorcerer king, and those are the Templars. Whether it's the foot soldier, whether whether it's the the ranking guard, it's the militia mm-hmm. um soldier, they are they represent, and this is what this was what kind of caught me last time we talked about this. They represent everything that is wrong with cities. Mm-hmm. They represent the corruption. They represent the law, not in the sense that you need law. They represent the the abuse of power. They represent Definitely. the tyranny of the sorcerer king. They represent the cudgel, you know to beat down a beggar instead of helping him move mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So, sure. and to be honest, you're not really supposed to be fighting the sorcerer King unless you piss off enough of his Templars and, <laughs> or her Templars and kill off a bunch of people. You're not fighting them. Yeah. Not but, at the beginning for sure. But I think one of the cool things about dark Sun is that in the original campaign setting, you were shown that despite thousands or hundreds however long it was of years of the sorcerer king's ruling that it was possible to kill them and like Kalak being killed um in tier represented that and so it sort of automatically gave everybody the idea like oh let's throw over you know overthrow a sorcerer king and so i think that's sort of like a uh, you know that'd be a great um ultimate campaign idea um but until then you've got to fight his sorcerer kings i mean you got to fight his uh his Templars. Um, but beyond that, you know, just uh, beyond as the enemy, um, how can players use Templars for their own purposes? Well, one of the things that Templars are good for is being a patron. You may not necessarily, you might be breaking the law, but remember, not every, like I said, not every Templar interprets their power, interprets everything the exact same. Templars are still individuals. Now, if you think about any city, any bureaucracy that has infighting, who wants more power, maybe they use the um, maybe use the, cl- the players, the player characters as pawns. Maybe they're moving them around. Maybe they're going, well, you can sabotage this guy because... You know, as long as the Sorcerer King doesn't get pissed off at me and doesn't take away my powers, I can still do this. I can still manipulate my enemies. Um, you know, you can you can bribe them. They got power, but they want money. Maybe that maybe that maybe that um, that Templar has a weakness you can exploit to get what you want. So mm-hmm. instead of having to break into everything, you get. Um, you get the Templar to kind of have someone cleared out for you, you know, to use them in those games. Definitely. Um, and not only, you know, in, in the older, in the first edition, original box set, you could play a Templar. Um, and as I was reading through the second edition uh, or the revised edition, I should say, they actually moved Templar 
the Templar class into like an NPC section, which was interesting. I had never realized that. Um, and then in fourth edition, they brought it back again. So you can play as a Templar. Um, how do you think people would play as a Templar? Have you ever played in games with people playing as Templars? You know what? Considering and just thinking back, I don't think anybody wanted to play as the Templar because, <laughs> and I think none of the DMs would encourage it because how do you, you know, how, you know, if you're staying in one city, yes, I think that works. But how do you move around as a Templar? If you go anywhere, you are enemy number one. And as soon as you're outside the reach of your your deity, not outside the reach, but outside the influence of your deity, mm-hmm. you will be instantly slaughtered. Yeah, so I, um, in in some of my first games, I had one player that wanted to play one, um, but I didn't want to have him in the city because I didn't want, I mean, we were young, we were in high school. I'm sure he would have uh, abused his power. So I kept him outside of his city all the time. And the way we sort of, um, uh, the way we sort of worked that was that he was sort of like a spy, you know, he was going to the other city states to gain information about them. And so he did not play as a Templar. He sort of passed himself off as a, uh, like as a scion or something like that. And so, um, <clears throat> And so once, you know, we, he gained a good deal of power and was like 10th level or whatever, then we went to a city state. He was also then, you know, less likely to sort of like just lord over his, over the other players and char- uh, characters because he was friends with them. You know, he wasn't going to be a jerk to them, which if, I, I feel like if we had done that originally, he would have been. Um, and so once we got to those, to the city state, um, then he sort of ran into um you know the templars uh like the templar scheming and the reason that is because most templars are corrupt the the sorcerer kings don't really care what they do as long as they you know kind of do what they're supposed to do and beyond that they can do what they want so they're they're always scheming they're always backstabbing each other they're always trying to get one up on each other um because the only way that a templar raises in rank is um you know is to kind of prove himself um and if their if their uh, sort of immediate um, commands are are are, are negating negating their um, um, their desires, then you know they're going to get mad and kind of want to kill that person. And so a lot of that would come into play. Um, but I've only had that one character as a Templar. Otherwise, like you said, most people don't really want to play as the bad guy. I mean, if you think about it, it's a little bit different than playing as a cleric or a warlock. As a cleric, you listen to your deity, but your deity is not a physical manifestation with a heavy-handed organization mm-hmm. where you have to toe the line. I mean, DMs don't generally do that for a cleric. Um, you know, and especially those political machinations that that rank and file, trying to gain game the system. You know, how does... You know, how would all the rest of the player characters fit into that? I mean, it could be, you know, it, it, it almost ends up being the that Templar story. Let's say that mm-hmm. <clears throat> not including the possibility of abuse, but let's say this Templar has a group around him or her that basically is going to support his or her rise to power. Mm-hmm. But it then becomes that Templar story. Yeah. Rather than a story about the PCs. Yes, there's other PCs. Yes, they can have stories, but your main plot becomes this Templar rising to power, you know, and that Templar almost becomes 
patron to an adventuring group or to that group. And to be honest, it loses a little bit of the rest of the Dark Sun tropes, like the the survival and stuff. Like you, you don't get to pick on those as much because you're going to try to stay in your center of power. I, I, I believe most characters would. Um, yeah, I think that... Uh, Although I feel like once you hit like you know tenth level and you're really starting to to get there and gain power, the tropes or the the theme of the game kind of changes a little bit because you're not you're no longer concerned about that. I mean, you can still be laid low if you're in the wilderness, of course, but if you're in a city, you probably have power, you probably have money, even if you're not a Templar. So it's that's I feel like the the things change, but I, I agree that um, that you you could make it too much. Um, of that sort of metagame for the Templars. But as a, D, as a DM, I think you would just have to make sure that that's not the focus of the story. Like that's sort of a side story for that single character. And maybe there's like a bigger story that's kind of over, you know, that that's kind of not overshadowing, but that's just, that just takes the focus more than the Templar story. So that way that, you know, stays as a subplot. And then, you know, you have all the other character subplots and then you have this major overarching story so that so that it doesn't turn into uh, like you were talking about the um, Templars taking over in that way. Um, mm -hmm. But when we talk, you know, for, on the third subject, let's talk about the mechanics of, of Templars in Dark Sun. Um, so can you talk a little bit about the difference between, you know, in some in some uh, manifestations, they were clerical and in some they were arcane? Yeah, I mean, if you think back into second edition, and we're going to dive way back a little here, there was nothing, there was no game mechanic that would really, um, I guess, there was no game mechanic that would really represent a Templar. So I think what they did, and because there was basically no clerics, um, like cleric, like deities, but you had the same concept. So I, I believe, and, and this is speculation from me, is that they were lumped into this arcane thing, even though their patrons, like their um, their sorcerer kings, were defilers and psionicists. So you have a defiler psionicist, you know, dual class, I believe it was called back then, mm -hmm. creating, being this patron, being this deity to a cleric. Because that was the sense that you want to give them. You want to give the sense that these the, these Templars were dependent on an outside source for their power. They weren't wizards. They weren't defilers. Um, you know, they weren't mages. They depending on this other deity to give them power. And that really just sounds like a cleric. I mean, in second edition, that's that's what it sounds like. Yeah. And I guess that really fit with the theme of how that worked. Mm -hmm. But to be very honest, to me, that always sat a little bit weird because I was like, how is, how is a non-god granting granting clerical powers right i could never understand that and and it's like that this sorcerer king cannot cast that spell that he's giving to one of his people <laughs> right well like how does that work right mm -hmm. but then you look at the opposite side what we had to represent arcane powers was a wizard but templars aren't wizard like they're not preservers or defilers Really, in that right. case, either because magic was banned. Why would a sorcerer king allow a wizard to exist, except the ones that are under the controls? Right. You know, why would their entire, the entirety of their staff, be people that they didn't want ex to to exist? 
it didn't that didn't make any sense either because it was and also as a wizard the the sorcerer king wouldn't have any control over their powers you couldn't just go shut them off right because they're your powers you're you're an arcane caster so yeah that was something interesting you know in fourth edition they when they did make them arcane they kind of did it uh, by saying that the majority of templars were warlocks um and one kind of change that they made that i that didn't sit well with me was just that aspect that you just mentioned that they said in the fourth edition book that they were invested with these powers and that they couldn't be taken away whereas in previous editions if the you know if the templar lost their um holy symbol or it broke or whatever then they could no longer cast their spells which is probably too limiting um but the idea that they were warlocks and could have unlimited spells is a little um you know kind of went against just because of that same reason reason why would the sorcerer kings allow um their servants to always have power why you know that would be one more way for them to control them so i think that I really like the fourth edition change to making them more locks, but I also feel like it does change the dynamic a little bit. Um, even if you say that the Sorcerer Kings can still take away their power at the whim, it still means, like you said, that they are all potentially defilers. And so are they, you know, are they defiling all the time or is their magic sort of different? And I still like the idea of them sort of having clerical magic, whereas it's not defiling, but via more like arcane ways or something like that. I don't know. I think in fifth edition, um, I'm going to run, I'm running a game of dark sun. Actually, I'm running two games of dark sun. I'm running a home game, fifth edition, dark sun. I'm going to run a, a dark sun game on my page with my Patreon patrons. And I'm considering, I think I'm going to make them warlocks, but basically make them clerical warlocks. So they're mm. not defiling. Um, so they still have the magic, um, but it's still, and somewhat arcane in nature. Mm. And I, I think that really works. I mean, the new Unearthed Arcana that, that came out a few weeks ago kind of has that that bent uh, as for one of the warlocks. And I think it'd be a really easy adaptation. Add a couple of rules, add a couple of things here. Sure. <clears throat> Just to get into that, I mean, that, if you look at the warlock, look at the fifth edition warlock, that kind of fits what it is. I mean, as a warlock, you are making a pact with a greater power. Right. And while it doesn't sp- specifically say that the this power can take it away, um, in essence, that that essence, that entity can take the powers away mm-hmm. from you. And um, one of the things that, I can't remember where it says this, but um, I can't remember, I really can't remember where they said this, but that entity may not be all powerful but they have the ability to sort of shunt some of their personal energy to you mm-hmm. when they're not using it, when they don't need it. But they still have the ability to take that energy back, that power right. back. So even though you're not going to be heavy-handed with that as a DM to a character, knowing that that power can be removed from you is pretty much fits exactly with the warlock. Definitely. And you can just say the warlock is a divine caster instead of an arcane caster mm-hmm. that is a flavor thing um in general i don't think it should make much of a difference um in the gameplay right. and you can always change the spell list a little bit um mm-hmm. <clears throat> or basically make the um their packed list um pack spell list right different yeah right but that brings us to another question about mechanics 
Um, and this kind of comes from the what we mentioned a little bit earlier, and also from the books, is that do all Templars channel their Sorcerer King's power? Um, you know, the the title of Templar is something that is given um, uh, in each city state kind of differently, but I think it you know as we sort of mentioned before, it kind of doesn't make sense for like a tax collector to um, you know to have these. Uh, uh, crazy spells. So I think um, in in my games, I would say no, not all Templars um, can channel their Sorcerer King's power. There's going to be a bunch of Templars that are more mundane in nature, that are the bureaucrats, that are the town guard, that sort of thing, that may, don't really have power, or I mean, don't really have um, uh, spells, but they have uh, um, like civic power. They have the power to condemn slaves, to condemn freemen. Um, and, you know, as the, as they sort of are more powerful, you know, up to condemning nobles um, and things like that. I mean, let, let's look at this from two different sides. I, I agree with you, absolutely. Number one is from a player's side. Um, and let's say this player says, I want to be a Templar. Now, do you basically, would we basically force them? And this is, this is up to different DMs, but would we force them basically take that warlock class and be like, you have to take at least one level of warlock to be a Templar, um, you know, just to, to do that? Or would it be like, you know what, Templar is a title, mm -hmm. something granted to you. Now, in 5th edition, this is very easy to do um, for NPCs, because we can just basically say, this, this thug, and I use the word thug from the NPC back of the Monster Manual, is a Templar. Mm -hmm. This is a low-level Templar. This is the person that the first-level PCs are going to beat up because they wear the Templar robes, they have a little thing, but they don't have any spellcasting power. Right. But later on, there might be a Necromancer. And that is also a Templar, mm -hmm. but their powers have developed differently because the, um, the Sorcerer King has allowed this Defiler, this Necromancer to exist Mm -hmm. and use their power. Definitely. That is really, really easy because that's just reskinning NPCs. That's what we do it all the time. Yep. Um, we do that in AL all the time. Mm -hmm. But for a player character, you know, how so, would you... Yeah, I mean, like, how would you represent that Warlock Pact, which is basically the pact with the deity, with the Sorcerer King, but would you make them take the Warlock class... Uh, I mean, there's a, a, a bunch of ways you could do that. Um, you know, it's really easy to multi-class, so you could just kind of let them be in their um, in their class and then just dip, you know, one level into uh, Warlock if they wanted. You could also create a background um, uh, for the different city-states or just make a generic one, however you wanted to do it. Although I don't think there's really... I feel like backgrounds are not really don't really have enough power to represent templars fully um but it could start you know it's a start um and one other way that you could do it would be to i mean if you wanted to go so far as to make a um a subclass you know like an archetype or a tradition whatever for the different classes if you you know if you have a player that specifically wants to play a specific class but also wants to be a templar um you could do that so i think something like <clears throat> something like the eldritch knight which I don't really think has 
it doesn't have a place in the lore of dark sun, but I could easily see that as being a Templar, um, you know, just with some tweaks, um, or, you know, the sword mage or, you know, different things like that, that you could tweak slightly that would be in line with dark sun, um, the lore, but also kind of show that Templar ability. Mm -hmm. I, I, I agree with you hundred percent. It's, it's just an interesting mental problem because mm -hmm. it, it really depends and it depends completely on the dm and how they present that lore in the game because if you presented that every single uh templar can or will eventually with enough power cast spells you know that means all of them are warlocks most likely or the majority of them are warlocks mm -hmm. but if you represent them as some of them might have the ability to eventually cast spells but in general they are just you know, politically connected humans, as mm -hmm. most of them are humans. Maybe, who knows? Yeah. I think that one of the cool things that came out of fourth edition was themes. And they made themes to, uh, you know, to answer the question of like, how can some people be gladiators and still be another class? Like, what if you were a cleric and you were thrown into the slave pits and you became a gladiator? Like, how do you represent that? And in fourth edition, there wasn't really a way to do that. And so they created themes. Um, it also answers the question of how are you an agent of the Sorcerer King, but but also a fighter? Um, or how are you a Templar, um, but also um, a wizard or also a, a rogue or whatever? So themes were something that, um, that allowed you to take some, um, to take, they were one step kind of above what a fifth edition has as backgrounds. So sort of like between backgrounds and, um, and classes. And I think that you could add, you could create themes in fifth edition to do the same thing. I was thinking about, you know, in one of the cool things in fourth edition was that when you took a theme, you got a bunch of different of your abilities that you could replace with other abilities that you got. Um, so, you know, if you got a fighter ability at fourth level, your theme would also have a fighter ability at fourth level and you could choose which one you wanted. So if you chose the fighter ability, you know, you would just be a fighter for the most part. But if you chose the theme, your theme ability, you would get more flavor of your theme. And mm -hmm. I think you could do that with fifth edition by, um, by swapping out the ability score improvement um, choices with maybe other powers or feats you could make, themed feats that you had to have this theme or maybe just say background like you if you took the templar background then that means you can take these feats to use mm -hmm. when you get an ability score increase instead of the feat you would take the templar feat yeah just actually just as you said that i was i just thought yeah i mean if you took um m is it magic adept that magic initiate i think yeah magic initiate mm -hmm. my gosh my uh my 5e foo is, is not working today. <laughs> and you said, I'm going to take Warlock. Mm -hmm. yeah. All of a sudden, you have exactly what we're talking about yep. to basically dip into um, dip into the Sorcerer King's Pact with, with, with uh, a Warlock power. Mm -hmm. And that kind of fits. Yeah. And that kind of works. The last thing that we had discussed and talked about is... And this was kind of out of the books, but also sort of out of um, the, is it Homeland series from Ari Salvatore? Mm -hmm. 
And that was the thought of, if you're a Templar, you receive this disc that represents the power and the connection. What if that disc was a magic item? What if that was a, you know, sort of a necklace of prayer beads Mm -hmm. where as you got more powerful, you could receive more spells. Now the Sorcerer King can withhold them because he can shut the power off to this disc. But now you can kind of imitate the spell casting that you want and still be whatever class you want Mm -hmm. or be whatever NPC you want. But now you have something that could cast Bless or Cure Light Wounds, even though the Sorcerer King couldn't do it. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's also your badge of office because no one else can use that magic item. Now, at first level, it might unbalance the party a little bit, but I think it's another way to represent that connection to the Sorcerer King Mm -hmm. as a Templar without changing the class that your character is. You've taken the identity of a a Templar, but now you don't have to change the mechanics of what Mm -hmm. character you are. Yeah, I feel like, like you said, that is going to <clears throat> that is going to increase the power level of that character um, by giving them spells outside of their class without kind of having done something. Uh, but I mean, you know, that's all relative. You know, um, it it's one thing to sort of, you know, if, if wizards did that um, and put out a Dark Sun book and said that's how it works, it would probably throw off things because then all of a sudden every DM would have to be told like you need to adjust for that while you're playing that this character has more power. Um, but in a home game, um, you know, you're making your own rules. I think that's definitely, definitely doable. Yeah. So the last thing is we mentioned it before. Templars are bureaucrats at the end of the day. Yes. Some of them are, some of them are warriors. Some of them are thugs, but the higher level ones, the ones with a lot of personal power, and that's something that we didn't touch upon is as an enemy, the actual Templar can be an actual enemy. They could be the one sending, you know, they could be the mastermind sending troops against you to, to, to snub you out because that's what the Sorcerer King has said. Mm-hmm. Or they could be this very powerful um, spellcaster that you might have to fight. But when you get up in those levels, there is something that they are all good at. Um, stabbing each other in the back, <laughs> politics, <laughs> but really that bureaucracy component. And that's not something that is easily, or that is not something that's currently defined in 5th edition. Yeah, so in 2nd edition, they had uh, proficiencies, and um, so you did like your weapon proficiencies, and then you had non-weapon proficiencies. One of the non-weapon proficiencies they added for Dark Sun was bureaucracy. Um, and the thing that, that lets you do was... Um, it just lets you navigate um, the the different bureaucracies of the cities. Um, it would let you do things like um, maybe spend less time in jail if you got in jail. Um, it would let you um, speed up the time it takes to um, to maybe get a meeting with an important noble or an important Templar. Um, it could let you um, pay less for taxes because a lot of times when you go, come into cities, you're going to get taxed on the things that you're carrying in. Um, and so that was like always a big, a big deal. Um, I was like, am I going to get taxed? And, and really what, what the big deal was is because usually again, you know, talking about how characters are generally, um, you know, wizards or, um, or elves, maybe 
uh, transporting spell components which are illegal or books which are illegal to read um so part of that would be like okay i'm gonna roll bureaucracy and see if i can you know bribe this templar to let me go um uh, maybe pay less less taxes or what have you um so those are just like a few of the ways that you could use bureaucracy um from second edition and fifth edition i think you know there's a sort of a set list of skills but you could easily just say when using bureaucracy uh you know uh anything that has to do with bureaucracy, whether it's like a persuasion role, a deception role or whatever, then the Templar character or whoever has the skill could get the bonus. And that could definitely be something like um, a background feature mm-hmm. um, or something equivalent in power. It yeah. doesn't come up that often, but um, if you remember the noble um, background, mm-hmm. which is... Right. Let's yeah. Let's you um, get gain a, an audience with someone. Yeah. Yeah, and that's exactly you know we don't have to mechanize it too much, but mm-hmm. basically it gives you that kind of little boost, especially in the city that you're in. Um, but also on the flip side, as a defense against taxes, a defense against you know where the Templars are, being able to avoid them if you need to, um, mm-hmm. and figure out where where not to be. You know, that's if you're right. an elf. Uh, in Dark Sun, you need to know where not to be um, mm-hmm. in order to make that trade, to make that magic item um, set or whatnot, or give that or trade that book to the Veiled Alliance. Yeah, um, that's definitely something. That's a more catch-all, and especially the usage of bureaucracy seems to catch all a couple of different skills, mm-hmm. different abilities, rather than just be one set ability because a lot of it some of it's deception a little bit of insight um some of it's you know obviously a lot of it's persuasion um i can definitely see that just something to to kind of keep in the back pocket to yeah like you said even mechanically just give yourself an advantage when you're dealing with a certain a certain amount of bureaucracy or a certain uh templar as it yeah. as it might be right right, right. so that I think that covers pretty much most of the mechanics about Templars that, that I can think of. Uh, anything else from anything else you can you can pull out of your brain for that one? Uh, you know, I mean, Templars got spells. Um, they sort of got spells slower than kind of clerics back in Second Edition uh, until they were higher level and then they kind of gained them faster. They could make um, they could make magic items um, like spells and uh, potions or scrolls and potions. Um, but yeah, I mean that was the that that was the the general gist of um, Templars Templar mechanics. Yeah, and that's I think really to cover it in D anD D, and especially in Fifth Edition, it's not about whether they cast spells or whatnot. It's to get that feel, and how do we mechanically um, convey that feel? And I hope we've given you some ideas as uh, listeners uh, as a DM or as a player to be like, Hey, next time we're playing dark sun, this is how I want to represent Templars or this is how I want to play a Templar character. That basically wraps up the show today. Um, this was a lot of fun. Uh, Robert and I have been talking about this for a little while now and we just, we really wanted to, to do a dark sun show. Um, you guys will probably know some other shows out there, but um, I, I'm hoping you got some, some out of that. So, Robert, if people want to contact you, want to find you on the internet, how would they do that? Yeah, so you can uh, reach me uh, on Twitter at Radu76. It's R-A-D-D-U-7-6. I'm on um, uh, 
everywhere. I'm on uh, Facebook and Google+. Plus. Um, you can just search for my name, Robert Adichie. You can go to athis.org. You can e- email me at radu at athis.org. Um, you can also find me on Patreon um, if you want to play a 5e Dark Sun game. I've got a few slots open left. Um, uh, we're going to start next month, uh, and that's patreon.com slash Robert Adichie. Um, yeah, that's about it. How about you? Where can we find you, Wayne? Well, I'm I'm not as socially social media savvy as, as Robert, but uh, um, probably the best way to find me is uh, is on Twitter. Um, I usually use uh, Visionary Comms, um, and we're gonna have a Twitter for the show. You can also find us on the Misdirected Mark uh, website, misdirectedmark.com, and you may be listening to this this through the Down with the Indie or Advanced Insight feed. We will be having our own feed. We're just uh, spreading out the love a little bit right now as we, we get started and getting everybody uh, to know what we're doing. And um, and you'll see us more online. Uh, you can definitely talk to us on Facebook, um, on G+. And uh, I think we're going to have a little section on um, on in the arena on athos.org, I believe, um, yep. just talking about the show and, and listening to feedback and getting your hints and, and tips and, and ideas about the things that we talked about and what we're going to do in the future. And just speaking about what we're going to do in the future, Robert, what is our next topic? So people have an idea of what we're going to be talking about next week or next month. Sorry, next month. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, we talked about Templars and the city states and our next topic is going to be uh, something separate from that. It's going to be about survival and survival in Dark Sun. Absolutely. I'm actually really looking forward to this because I've had a chance to talk with Robert about the desert, but I've never really been. Um, so we're going to um, we're going to ask Robert's uh, wife to take away all the water from him for, <laughs> for the day, and he's going to talk to us while he's parched. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. He's probably going to make a bad podcast. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be pretty funny, though. And, um, and of course, we're going to talk more about uh, other Dark Sun stuff um, as we come up. So if you have ideas for podcast topics, please, please let us know. I just want to thank... Take- she can take my my water, but she doesn't know where I keep my um, cane honey. <laughs> Very true. Very true. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, I had a great time um, talking with Robert, and I hope you had a great time listening to us. And I just want to say uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we will talk to you next month. Thanks for listening. Bye now.